knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com All right, Randy, welcome back to the podcast and hadn't chatted in a while. So new listeners, go back to listen to some of the things that we have chatted about in the past. Some of that still applies quite a bit, but Randy Hampton with Colorado Parks and Wildlife is is kind of our go-to contact in keeping up to date on what's happening in Colorado. And so give us a 30-second who you are. Sure. I'm the public information officer or spokesperson for the Northwest region of Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Um, So basically, you can divide the state of Colorado into four equally sized quadrants. Kind of I-70 cuts it, you know, between the north and the south. And then the continental divide creates east and west. And there's a few exceptions to that in how the, the regions are actually laid out. But that gives everybody a pretty good idea. Um, my region covers places like uh, Craig, which is, you know, the elk hunting capital of North America, um, all the way over to the, to the tiny community of Walden, which is the moose viewing capital of Colorado. Um, so, you know, wildlife is really, really important when these towns are putting it in their names. But I've got places like Steamboat, Naston, and uh, Breckenridge Vale and, uh, you know, Rifle Grand Junction. In, in my region, so kind of covering that northwest corner of the state. So we really want to talk about what's going on, and I was joking with a buddy yesterday about uh, what we notice on any hunting social media page where somebody asks, what's the season, Second, when's second season, blah, 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 easy Googleable, easy things to Google, <laughs> get the answer, and that's such a, <laughs> come on, I I, I now have moved to South Dakota. I think I can't remember if I told you that or yep. not. Um, and I heard someone say that, oh, man, Colorado is so confusing and what they all got going on. But actually, noticing after getting my big game brochure and looking at that, it's like all pretty much a one-stop shop and pretty nice to, to have all that in a really nice publication. So like I said last year about this time, it is very important to pick up that handbook and read through the changes, read through all of that. And, and last week we had an episode with Onyx and they talked about how uh, knowing license changes would, would be a really a good tip to, to being able to draw more tags. Because if you know a unit picked up five more sheep tags, let's say, you that's a tag you probably want to apply for. Um, or having, and 
paying attention to those things. So uh, diving into, and that's more than what's in the brochure, but diving into what the changes are, what's happening, and staying informed is is really important is what I'm getting at. So um, let's talk about uh, fire for first off that's that's one area that that has been a big change across many many ecosystems there yeah you know colorado got it just hammered last fire season we expect you know with with pretty low snowpack right now that you know maybe another dry year and and so fire is certainly a, a concern in the future as we look forward to now we're hopeful you know the march and april are Colorado's snowiest month so we've still got some time and hopefully we can build up a, a better snowpack and maybe maybe dodge that bullet but fire was certainly in 2020 uh, a, a massive massive thing um, some of the fires we dealt with you know early in the summer um, we saw the the pine gulch fire it, which is just north of grand junction a massive fire ended up in around 140,000 acres and was for a little while Colorado's largest fire in recent history. It's just later in the summer, we saw things like Cameron Peak Fire, which was over on kind of the northeast part of the state up in north central Colorado. Um, we saw, you know, the, the East Troublesome Fire spark in Grand County and became one of the fastest moving fires that, that anybody in Colorado could ever remember. Um, it grew more than 100,000 acres in a single day. So just a massive fast moving fire. Now, the good thing in this is we, we have a lot of collared animals out there for different research studies. And we were able to actually, our, our GIS folks did some cool work. They overlaid um, the, the elk collars and the movement of elk collars with these fire progression maps that the, the feds were able to produce um, from their fire folks. And so you can actually watch those fires move and watch the elk move out of the way. The fire burns past them and they move right back in. Um, or watching elk that would find places to, to actually stay within the fire perimeter and, and not have to move around much and, and be completely fine after the fire moved past. Um, so we did see some individual animals that, that were killed in the fire or had to be put down due to injuries. But even in like the East Troublesome Fire, that, that number's under 25 animals. It is not population impact level. So, you know, the herds are okay. There were individual animals that were affected. Um, the bigger issue will come in the in the area of fish, which will be impacted when spring runoff hits um, because of all that ash that's in the system and now will get transported into streams, rivers, creeks and everything else. So there's some concerns there from fire. Um, but uh, the only other thing we're kind of watching is is, you know, will some of these areas that were burned still be closed um, due to damage to roads, culverts, things like that. Um, so, you know, we're keeping an eye on all of those things, but, you know, fire made 2020 quite a, quite a busy year for our folks. Yeah. So the, the, that's really interesting. I didn't even think about the fish being impacted in that way, but of course it's a full ecosystem as someone with a science background should know a full <laughs> cycle <laughs> of impacts. Uh, but the less obvious of dealing with those, uh, sediment in the streams and the higher concentration of 
what, if I'm correct, would be an increase in phosphorus or phosphates um, it to the stream. I'm sure it would add quite a bit um, to to a very sensitive ecosystem such as trout trout ecosystem. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's fish that we worry, you know, in, in the fire fallout and recovery, it's fish that we worry about the most. Um, people think, oh, they're in the water, they're fine, you know, fire moves by, good to go. Um, but it's all that junk, all that leftover debris, all that ash. Now, with, with the fires we had last year, it was it was snow that put them out. You know, man wasn't going to gonna get there. They basically tried to contain it, protect structures, and, you know, started praying for rain and snow and and it finally came and and that helped so all this all this ash didn't go anywhere it's just kind of under the snow um waiting and so it's like this you know kind of this ticking time bomb or at least the potential of some serious impacts when all of that runoff all that milt starts occurring the the best hope uh, from an aquatic standpoint for our fish, the best hope is that that milt occurs slowly and allows the system to kind of clean itself, um, you know, little by little versus having a real quick warm up and all of a sudden all that, all that ending up in the system, you know, over the course of a couple of days. Yeah. So the, the bottom line besides the fish, uh, big game hunters that are concerned about that, uh, it's probably pretty good news. It's great news that yeah, and the, the the winter flights, the 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 census work that we do, where we go up and you know kind of check on herds and things. The winter flights in most of these these fire regions have seen pretty good numbers. Um, you know, we haven't fully analyzed that data and won't get to that until the end of March. But um, you know, we'll we'll see how those herds are doing. But the biologists that were that were doing those flights, the wildlife managers that were out there, the reports I'm hearing back were, yeah, we're, you know, we're seeing animals and and seeing them in the in the areas where they have been, and we're seeing them in the numbers that we've we've typically seen. So, um, not major concerns in that regard. As a matter of fact, what I would tell you know people that are out there that are listening that are going, oh, you know, do I want to hunt? Colorado because of those fires uh, the reality is there's a there's a ton of nitrogen in in all that ash all that burned material plus it takes out those canopies and and allows sunlight down to the ground and so what you will see this spring and summer and and into the fall is a really good forage rebound in a lot of these areas where you know those those ground plants are going to have sunshine and fertilizer and they actually become highly nutritious. Fire is part of the Western ecosystem. You know, elk, deer, all these other critters, they evolved with fire as part of the system. And it's actually a very healthy part of the system. You know, we frequently use fire as a tool to improve big game habitat. So, you know, we don't want to see the catastrophic fires. We don't want to see the fires that, you know, are taking out people's houses and things. Um, but there's a there's another part that you go, oh, well, you know, that's a lot of habitat work that got done last summer. Um, it's not the way we want to see it done, um, but there will be some benefits to to big game wildlife. And, and I say that not not cheering for fire, but really trying to keep, you know, be, and be mindful that, that you know, there were people – 
whose whose homes and lives and and livelihoods were affected. And we we certainly um, you know certainly understand that. Feel bad for those folks. That that isn't the way we want to see it happen. Um, but Mother Nature um, uses fire as part of that system too. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. There's silver lining in in 2020 for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the uh, applications are open. I have started my extensive research now and, re- and figured out my plan for goat and sheep. In the day I draw that, I'm going to have to get a loan now that I'm a <laughs> I'm a non-resident. But I told my wife what it what that cost, and and I said I don't even care if I draw one of those tags. I don't care. I'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm gonna go do it. So uh, good for you. Yeah, right. the, and that's that's the whole purpose of a side business is making a little money to pay for the hunting. So right. Uh, but the those are open and yep yep applications opened first of March. Um, so you have to get the the applications in by April six. So that's the that's the deadline. Um, applications are due then. We also, of course, have, um, you know, that that's the primary draw. There's a, a secondary draw that occurs along the way if you don't get the license you were looking for in that in that primary draw. And additionally, you know, Colorado is one of those those few states that o- that offers over the counter licenses, uh, even for non residents. Um, we have those in the archery elk seasons and and also second and third rifle season for elk. So, you know, there's lots of opportunities. Even if you don't get that license, you may be looking for in, in another, another state, Colorado is kind of the place that'll, that'll back you up. We got your back. We want you out there. The, you know, people talk about the complexity of Colorado's regulations and, you know, they look at the hunt guide and they're like, holy cow, this thing's, you know, 80 pages. It's like reading a small book and trying to figure out, you know, every bullet point. The reality of it is Colorado is is a bit complex, but we got plenty of people to help you through it. And we always love doing that. You know, there there's uh, our call center has hunt planners. These are people you can call them and go, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, and they'll they'll help you out or I need to figure out a place. We've got these hunt planners that are that are just there to answer those kinds of questions. Yeah, it's a little bit complex, but if you think about the wildlife resource in the state of Colorado, about 420,000 deer, about 295,000 elk. Heck, in Colorado, we harvest more elk than most states have. So we have a tremendous wildlife resource, um, and we manage it to, to really, really take care of uh, the, those populations and, and to make sure that they're sustainable. Uh, and and also, you know, providing for the recreation of sports people from around the country and around the world. I'm looking at Colorado with different eyes now as a non-resident. And since starting this podcast, I was a resident. And so finding uh, some of that commonality I have now with 
all the other non-residents and how I look at it, how I approach it. I'm looking, trying to share share what I know and share what uh, uh, the struggles are with that and the, trying to learn a system and or just be good at it. Just be good at understanding that data and what we can do with it. So I think, I think I'm gonna do a little little deal on a hunt planner again. I had one way back when, and we did an episode on the secondary draw. So that's in here way back, a few quite a few episodes ago, and uh, um, so definitely want to encourage listeners to go back and listen to that. One of the one of the other things, and and this is probably really useful to those those listeners that are non-residents like yourself, Clint. There is always noise in the system about changing how many licenses go to residents, how many go to non-residents. There was discussion, you know, I guess we'll go back to 2005 or so when, when kind of all the allocation discussions occurred in Colorado for the, the system that's, that's been tweaked along the way but is in place in Colorado for, for how licenses are allocated to residents and non-residents. The, the subject of allocation came up again last fall uh, with the, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission. Um, I've heard there's, a, there's actually a bill in the Colorado legislature um, that, would, that would set some, some allocation numbers. So there's always somebody that, that's interested in, in changing or tweaking those allocations. Um, and, and so it's really important for people to stay involved, even if you're not a Colorado resident. If you count on Colorado to be the place that you go and hunt in the fall or that you, you know, come in and hunt once every five years, you really still have a voice and, and a role and the ability to, to tune in for commission meetings. They're, you know, they're, we broadcast them on YouTube these days. To, to keep up to date on what's happening in the state and and to, to really provide comment when there's things that you hear that you go, you know what, that, that affects me and, and I, I support it or I don't. So it's really important for sports people to stay involved, um, even if it's not your home state. If it's the state you hunt in, you, you have a role to play, too. And, and you know, you, you get to have an opinion and, and be involved in the process. So it's it's super important for sports people right now uh, to to maintain that that political involvement. So we encourage people to do that and encourage people to reach out. Yeah, I'm going to spend about 450 bucks before I even get there on my <laughs> my preference points and my license, my stamp, just the whole qualifying nine. qualifying license. Yep. Yeah, all the all the things that are that are necessary. Sure. Yep, and you know we'd love to. We'd love to find a way to make it easier, and I, I suspect somewhere along the way we will. But anytime you start changing the dynamics of how do we make it easier, how do we make it you know better, how do we how do we deal with issues of crowding, how do we deal with issues of access, how do we deal with um, you know rising numbers of uh, archery participants and declining numbers of rifle participants. One of the things that came up during the last five-year season structure process was, you know, conversations about do we need a second archery season? Um, should there be two archery seasons and maybe a, a one less rifle season? Now, you know, just saying it, I hear what makes people go, what? 
except that's the kind of conversation that, that gets had as we look at how do we how do we begin to to make this system you know the most fair it can be there's always somebody on the outs though when you change something somebody gets affected negatively for for all the people who get affected positively so you know this five-year season structure thing i'll, I'll explain it real quick and kind of how Colorado, how we work with these regulations. It, it used to just be that the regulations would change and, you know, hunting season dates or things like that would change when they needed to change and adjust. The challenge of that is it makes it really hard for, you know, Joe Hunter in 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 South Carolina who maybe is coming to Colorado and, and going to hunt to know when the season dates are going to be and all of those things. And he may have to get that vacation request into his boss early. And so what we did in Colorado is we went to a five-year season structure and that way, all those kinds of things are set for five years at a time. And we're in the second year of the, the latest five-year season structure we're already getting ready to start the process of, of, of meetings and gathering information for, okay, where do we go, you know, next five-year season structure. Um, but we try to keep things pretty consistent. So you won't see major changes typically um, outside of that, that five-year season structure. Obviously, you know, bills in the legislature and things like that can affect us. And, um, you know, nobody's following five-year season structure in the legislature. So, um, there can be challenges, but but every five years really is how we we kind of do that. And what you'll probably see is by next year, 2022, we'll start the process of gathering information uh, uh, from people about okay, what are we you know what are we talking about for for 2025, probably the start and and moving forward from there. Um, that's uh, that's something I was surprised to hear you mentioned about the five-year structures because well we're only in the second year <laughs> of the current one it, so that was it, interesting but it's constantly ongoing uh, yeah. you know you watch you watch a commission meeting and somebody comes up and says hey we need we you know i think you should change this or that or whatever and it's it's like well okay that's a great discussion to have but it's probably part of that five-year season structure yeah. so you know it's it's constantly constantly moving and evolving yeah. One of the things that changed in this five-year season structure was kind of some of the season dates in order to allow a little more space in between the seasons. And that allowed for a couple of things. It allows the, the, the animals to have a resting period. Um, the, the hope is to kind of move them back off some of those, those private land refuges that exist out there, get them back out into the, you know, onto the public land. But it also allowed for, um, you know, outfitters to have a little more time in between seasons to get clients in, get clients out. Well, one of the, you know, that that was a benefit and everybody went, wow, I really like the, the extra time between the seasons and, you know, some of that to to get in there. Plus other hunters are out of their campsite and I'm able to get in, you know, and have time before my season starts. So there were a lot of good in that. But it pushed our fourth season pretty late and so one of the things that's happened especially this coming year 2021 with the with the dates the way they fall fourth season is right there in that thanksgiving week and so people are going to be impacted that may have um difficulty traveling around thanksgiving because of the holiday 
Some but people a, like it. There's a, Some people go, whoa, school's out. You know, the kids are going. We're going home. And a yeah, really good benefit of really hitting that rut period time. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you know there, there's these benefits, but there's also people that go, well, wait a second. You know, I, uh, that Thanksgiving week is bad. Plus, there's also, you know, the U.S. Forest Service sets their road closures. And they'd always set those winter road closures based on when our seasons ended. And then we adjusted when the seasons ended. Now it's later. So some of those fourth season hunters may get into situations where you have forest service roads that are closed. Um, now everybody goes, okay, that's, that's bad. I can't get to my, my campsite. However, it also minimizes crowding because if, if you're really one of those hunters that wants to be out there with, with less people, your success goes up when the roads aren't in use. Um, right. You know, the studies will tell you animals will stay at least a minimum of a quarter to a half mile away from a road, even if it's rarely traveled. So, you know, when when those roads close, the animals are out there more. So uh, positives for some negatives for others. Hey. And that's just kind of the way it works. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to this part of our interview with Randy. I actually had some technical issues there and lost him there. So uh, we will actually continue this on with Drea midway through this week here. So uh, she'll actually extend it, but keep it rolling to uh, even a little bit more. So we'll jump in with that here in the next episode in a couple of days. I'm Will Cooper, host of Hunt Stand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from Hunt Stand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device.